All right, cool. Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Mind Body Business Podcast with Nerd over here to my right. We're in the Charlotte studio again. Hey, this is the second time you've been up here. I know. It's kind of a big deal. Like the last four years. It's a big deal. All right, so we're going to talk about our podcast today, and we still have not recorded our formal entry, so I have to do this. Our podcast is a weekly conversation with brilliant earthlings. That's a new piece I added to it. Some not earthlings. I think this guest we have today is not from this planet. Um, where we deconstruct some crucial talking points concerning the human race, us, earthlings, maybe not all of us, and the planet as a whole. And we believe in the power of the human spirit. We believe in innovation, and we believe that connectivity are the keys to creation and evolution. Our life hack conversations with real people doing real things will help you unlearn limiting mindsets and facilitate you living your best life. It almost sounds like I memorized that, doesn't it? Because I'm so like good looking at the teleprompter. I do like a, a slow eye wink. You can't really tell. All right. Our, our guest today is Monica Parikh. Um, am I saying her name correctly? Parikh. Parikh. Parukh. All right. Monica Parikh. I think it's Parikh. Um, we met Monica. Actually, let me back up. I heard Monica on a podcast um, I forget the name of the group that does it. Anyhow, she was doing a, a, a podcast on, um, she's a sabotage coach. She teaches, she, she runs a, an organization called the School of Love and she's in New York City. Um, she's coming from, into the podcast today from Mexico, but I met her, um, she was on a podcast and she was talking about how to increase your level of consciousness. And you know, I'm all about that whole sort of exercise right now and trying to teach you how to increase your level of consciousness so that we can engage in fifth level conversations. So, and I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, I heard her. And the thing I loved about her most You're is spicy today. <laughs> the thing I loved about the podcast, um, she sort of ran the podcast. That was kind of interesting. So if she's listening behind the scenes, Monica, this is our podcast. Don't take, take the over. wheel, take the wheel. Oh. <laughs> um, but what I loved about her is she was very candid and um, sort of authentic. And she kept throwing the podcast host off a bit. Because I don't think you really quite understood some of the stuff that she was saying. Um, that's why I'm not going to say the podcast. Because um, I want to go on it also so I can sound like I'm really smart. And she re basically took him down a rabbit hole. And I was like, holy shit, that would be fun to have conversations with her. Because that's exactly what we do. So we're going to bring her on. You can find her at the School of Love. We're going to find out a little bit about that. Uh, the School of Love. Um, just exactly what that means. Self-sabotage coaches. Um, so I basically, I envision, have you ever seen Star Wars? And there's all these little Padawans running around in hooded jackets and little, yet uh, there's like 20 little Jedi Yodas and stuff. So mm -hmm. I think that's what she does. That might be why she's in Mexico. All right, let's, let's bring her in. Is that a good intro? It's terrible. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. Hi, Devo. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. Hey, Monica. We have been waiting months to talk to you. <laughs> I was so excited last week when I was like, oh, it's Monday, Monica. <laughs> well, I'm such a big fan of you guys. I'm sure every one of your listeners is like me. I like to just gaze upon this level of beauty in a couple, but then the purpose and intention behind what you're building kind of elevates your beauty to this like astral level. So I'm sure everybody's like me just mesmerized continuously by you both. No one. My no mom, one. that's about it. <laughs> My daughters have even lost I'm, the mesmerizing. Yeah, your relationship with your mom, we need to talk about that. Why? Well, that's a big topic in dating and relationships today. So Lisa, if you want to go there, I'm totally into it. But I don't you, know if Steve will be so into it. <laughs> She's, I've, I've she, not met her yet. So I don't know. 
I sent her that collection of videos we made in Mexico last <laughs> week, and she was like, "Whoa, Devi, you are the you are the man." So, all right. But all joking aside, Monica, I do want to have one central theme to this conversation because it's something that Lisa and I are dealing with. So I'd like to get your take on it. And, and, and the sort of conversational pieces is how does one overcome beliefs that no longer serve them? So. Not that we have to stay in that space, but can I kind of dive into a little bit about that for a minute? Can we let her dive into herself first and tell us a little bit? Like her elevator pitch, everything she does. Yeah, she does that when we take her off the mic. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Monica, so, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, the only reason I didn't do that because I was going to take it in. I don't like it when podcasts, when people don't aren't prepared about their guest. We actually are prepared about her. We know what she does. So I was yeah, going to but... kind of squeeze that in. Let me squeeze it in. I find. <laughs> well, so what I do is I'm actually just a relationship strategist. Um, I help people. People usually come to me when they've had some kind of relationship breakdown or crisis. And um, I just help teach them the psychology of relationships. And then as part of that, I also elevate their consciousness so they can either fix the relationship, whatever problems happening at a higher level, or they can leave it and find a partner that's operating at a higher level. And that's probably the easiest way. But a lot of the things I teach really help people make more money, um, step into greater purpose and intention. And part of my life purpose is just to elevate the consciousness of the collective. So, so question that first comes to mind, is that just in a, a relationship capacity or could you help people with their relationship with themselves? Do other people just come to you for personal work? Oh, absolutely. You know, I really am a believer that we live in a holographic universe. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that our outer reality is just a reflection of our inner, meaning that when our thoughts or our feelings are at a very low vibration, when we are filled with fear, or shame or anger, our outer reality tends to reflect that. So a lot of what I do with people is I change the way they believe about themselves or even just the way they have a relationship with themselves. And in making those small changes, you know, the outer reality basically shifts very dramatically and very quickly. You know, it was interesting to me because as, you know, stalking you, of course, but I'll call it research and development and talking about, uh, talking about relationships and how, how you have so many accolades, so much that goes into who you are and what you've invested in becoming the person that you are. But when a relationship fails, we consider ourselves a failure. And it's from that failure, that sense of crisis, that it becomes a catalyst for us to kind of dive in deeper. Do you, do you believe that we need that, that wake up call, that catalyst to actually prod us forward? I absolutely do. You know, when you think about the human psyche, we tend to not make change unless we're in deep levels of pain. And in my own personal life, I certainly would not have taken on the study of psychology or the mastery of psychology or even going to the level that I went to where I started to delve into the intersection between quantum physics and psychology. And as you probably know, Lisa, I also practiced law for 20 years. So what I started to do in my mindscape was, you know, for myself personally, when my marriage ended and my marriage ended very traumatically and very dramatically, 
I started to use that pain point as a place to really go inside myself and say, what happened to this marriage? Why did it fail? And then from there, I started to extrapolate larger to say why our marriage is generally failing and why have we not, with all the innovation that's happened in the world, why have we not innovated and moved to more modern relationships that maybe don't need government approval or that are brokered with true equality between the genders? or are like calibrated at a level that these two people have so much awareness and understanding of their history, like their family history, and how that could impact the way they relate to each other. Um, so I wouldn't have asked any of those questions had this acute pain point not happened. And I think oftentimes what we do as humans is we just think, oh, well, that couldn't be me. Let me just get in another relationship. That was the other person. And when we engage in that, you know, it's kind of like a history unexamined repeats itself. What ends up happening is we make the same mistakes again. And, you know, I want to prevent that for people. And I want to heal them from usually the underlying ancestral wounds that are causing them to attract perhaps certain narcissistic partners to themselves. So let's talk about that for a second, because that was one of the things that you brought to my attention when you were looking at her website was about how we enter into relationships at an unconscious level and that it's just setting yourself up for disaster. And so Lisa and I looked at each other because we both came from, um, shall we call them broken marriages? Uh -huh. yeah. And then we fell into each other's arms lovingly. <laughs> we ran slowly to each other. No, we didn't. But it wasn't. And Lisa said, wait, is that us? So are we setting ourselves up for failure? But we didn't enter it into an unconscious level. And we were friends for two years before we really realized how much we actually liked each other. Um, this is where we need you to validate our relationship. So yeah. Are we, <laughs> are, we, are we okay? Basically, are we <laughs> fucked or not? <laughs> um, No. I think that you're not fucked at all because one, it seems to me like you're extremely committed to one another. And two, it appears to me that you're seekers. You know, you understand that when you hit a roadblock, which look in every relationship, no matter how dynamic and amazing it is, you're going to hit a roadblock. Then you know that you have resources. And those resources can calm your psyche and give you tools to figure out maybe what's underlying the conflict. So usually when conflict occurs in a relationship, there's kind of that top level of two people fighting. But underneath that, there's a bottom level of what's actually happening between us and what is being triggered in you from perhaps childhood stuff that hasn't been fully healed. And so what you really want, I think, is somebody on your team, you know, and maybe you'll pick me. I would love to be the person, you know, that you pick, but you want somebody on your team that you could go to at any point and say, you know, Devo keeps doing this thing. It's really upsetting to me. How do you think I can address it with him so I can take us to that next level? And I think if more people saw relationships like that and more people kind of went a little deeper, 
you know, that just is going to build intimacy and trust and a deeper level of love between the partnership. So are you fucked? No, I don't think so at all. And I probably see a very long and happy, um, deep relationship between two soulmates, it seems right. like. Let's pause here and go consummate this right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing because he may have asked me a question. Oh, oh, look who's getting vocal. I haven't even told my mom. Bam. Yes. So. Um, Mexico. Be careful. Oh. <laughs> oh, wait. Was I not supposed to show that? <laughs> Congratulations, this, you this guys. In Mexico. So. This is another pandemic marriage under our belts. But listen, I would love to give you guys a wedding gift since I'm a guest on your show. Take a free session each with me. Um, my private sessions are super expensive. So I just gave you an enormously lucrative gift and I hope you cash it in. And I hope it, you know, you will think about me as a member of your team so that you guys can see the future. You know, think about how many kids need to see loving, purpose driven gorgeous people having tons of sex and happiness in the world oh, so uh, god I, bless I having kids i'm pretty sure your kids don't want to see us having sex <laughs> these, these eggs are old <laughs> well your kids need to see you their kids need yes, to see yes. you happy and in a productive relationship oh that's a good conversation it? we need to have that all right hold on remember that point because we're coming back to that because we do have some ancestral pain that occurred a few months ago on that very topic. We're going to talk about that. Um, I love that unconscious plug, by the way, of yourself. Well played. So, <laughs> Okay, so enough of us. So I want to go back to one thing you said. There Actually, there's three things. You talked about the holographic universe. I love that point. I actually read a book by a guy named Michael Talbot. Are you familiar with this? Yes. Called the holographic universe. And he talks about how basically, in essence, we live in a simulation. Um, and those simulations or this holograph can be reprogrammed, which is basically reprogramming your, your mind thought, your mindscape, you called it. So I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. And I myself am just now, truthfully, I've been sort of on a journey for the past seven years. Um, my divorce, which was sort of the catalyst for that, and I think you are as well. Um, and I never really understood that you basically are a reflection, your inner world, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. And you said that at the beginning. I don't think people really actually understand that to, to the, to the, to the degree of how it physically and emotionally impacts them. So can you take us for a minute sort of on, if you were doing a lecture for your school of love and you were sort of having this as your central topic today, sort of dive into that and explain how on a quantum and a physical, like a DNA level, when this is because this is factually true, your outer world is a direct reflection of your inner world. That was a really long question, but I think you got it all because you're nodding. You understand? <laughs> yeah. So you know, like one, I'll I'll do it as a frame of reference for my own understanding of just myself and my own conscious awakening of myself. So I was born into a family of two immigrants. My parents came from, my mother came from Europe, my father came from Asia, and both of them came to the United States with no money. And one of the things my parents were very into was um, getting us extremely educated. And so when I started practicing law, you know, um, it, I quickly realized that I kept hitting a glass ceiling. I graduated from law school in 1999. My ex-husband was a lawyer just like me. And we graduated the same year. 
And very quickly, my husband started making four times as much money as I, I was making, even though we came out of school at the same time. And, you know, I, of course, my understand, my conscious understanding of the world was that as a woman and a woman of color with an ethnic last name, I wasn't going to be getting the same opportunities as my white male husband was going to be getting. So that was the story I was telling myself, that this was racism and misogyny at work that was proving that my I was never going to be beyond a certain level. As I really started to understand the mindscape more, what I started to realize was that actually I had multiple psychological layers of poverty consciousness. That poverty consciousness was multiple generations in my family because I came from parents that were poor. And that actually there's an elevated level of thinking about money and abundance. So a lot of my beliefs about money were kind of backwards. You know, one of the beliefs I had was that money is the root of all evil and that rich people are bad. And so, of course, when that's in your psychology, then how could you attract it to you? Because you're basically blocked from it. And as I really started to understand the layers of my mind, what I started to understand was that money wasn't the root of all evil at all. You know, if you have a lot of money, you can seed an enormous amount of philanthropy. You can build a conscious company that helps as many people around the world as you're able to at different price points. You could build new technologies or new cities of the future that really are thinking at a different level. And so what I had to do was start to not only identify the beliefs I had, but identify where they came from. And then something in psychology that's really important is called individuation. And that's when we basically look at what our family taught us and either accept it or reject it and move into a different pathway. And so, you know, when we talk about the mind creating reality or this holographic universe, we have to have a very deep understanding of ourselves and somebody who can help guide us through the process of clearing our beliefs and changing our beliefs. And the thing is, is it's very hard to have that level of understanding about self when the world is moving technologically so quickly. It's almost that we don't have the time to kind of quiet down and say, well, why is this my reality? And why are other people having a different reality? And how can I bridge the gap from here to there? Okay, this is really, um, so talk about <clears throat> holographic universe and collective consciousness and all those things. So Lisa and I, yesterday morning, may I? Mm -hmm. Yesterday morning, I, I sent Lisa a text message and um, we are in the middle of, uh, we've, we've launched a new this, brand. This here, I yeah. she wrote down. Well, I'm just gonna actually read what I wrote you. So Lisa and I are in the middle of launching a new brand. And one of the things that, that has come up in my and my consciousness is I grew up really poor. 
I'm one of 12 kids. Uh, I was taught the same things that you are, that money is sinful. And my dad didn't have any money, so he made us feel like having money was bad, and that's how he justified his selfless, pathetic life. So I don't say that lightly. Um, he was a, He was not a nice person. And I always grew up thinking like I'm not worthy of having money. And I, I came out of college and I, I, I and you know, I love one of the things you said on your website is about education is about emotional and financial literacy and teaching people how to love themselves and understand that there are other metrics in life that matter that matter other than just rote memory, which is what the government, evil government teaches us in school. And so I, I remember going to college and I was like, I went and got credit cards and I didn't know that you had to pay these credit cards back. And I had like five credit cards and I went out and bought like hundreds of dollars of clothes and shoes. And then I got these bills and I was like, wait, I have to fucking pay that back. And they don't teach you that sort of stuff. But anyway, I'm going where it's somewhere. Um, so I, I sent Lisa this message yesterday because we have this new client that we're um, bidding for a project on. And it's going to be a huge project for us if we get it, when we get when it. We get it. And it'll be our biggest client we've we've landed in in what now eighteen months that we've mm-hmm. sort of been in business, but I'm realizing that as I'm preparing the proposal around this and all the different things, I'm starting to doubt our own ability to take this on. But more of my doubt is not around the skills; it's more around the financial aspect of like, who am I to charge six figures to this client for for these services? Like, what? How do? Why do I deserve this sort of stuff? And so I said to her, I said. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I said, and, and it's weird. So I'm going somewhere. Sorry, I'm really rambling here. Um, I tend to do that, don't I? Um, I was in a meditation and I was trying to sort of understand. And, I, and one of the things I've picked up in meditation lately from a fantastic person called Sarah Blondin, and she said, instead of asking for things, ask why not? Like ask questions and let the universe sort of figure it out for you. And so the question that I asked in my in my meditation was why not me? Why not us? Like, you know, we were meeting all these clients and all these podcasts that are doing fantastic things and they're making all this money and they're doing all these brilliant things. And Lisa and I have all these lists of things we want to accomplish. And I love that you said conscious development because that's one of the taglines is we want to help people consciously create something better. And but I'm really I'm curious about why not me? Why do I have these feelings of doubt and self-worth around money? And so it's crazy that you're on talking about this. And I said, why don't we just have this conversation with Monica and see where it goes? So there's so many things I want to say. Why do we have these feelings, these ancestral feelings? And 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 why do we allow them to creep in and pervade our life, even though we've had I've had brilliant success in my life? For real, I've had brilliant successes. I worked in the corporate world, made, you know, three quarters of a million dollars every year doing bullshit work. I've, I played, I've, I've been, I'm fast, fantastically healthy. I have brilliant kids. I have this lovely partner. Like I've been nothing but successful. I've never actually had anything bad happen to me, but I still have this feeling of insecurity around money. Why is that? I mean, I think that a lot of it goes to epigenetics. So epigenetics is that basically think about it. Our cellular structure is coded from multiple generations back. And so if you have multiple generations of poverty, you know, it's basically within your cellular structure. Now, here's the great thing is that you're beginning the questions, which is why not me? You know, and that's kind of where I was too. And, um, you know, a a big part of it for me or a big part of my journey. So you can kind of see my hotel room in the back. I'm staying in this ultra luxury suite um, in Mexico. And that was a hookup 
through another podcast host that I went on her show and she was like, you're coming with me to Mexico and this is where we're staying. And this, this uh, part this uh, hotel room is sick. And I literally in my life have never stayed in a hotel room like this. But the thing that shifted me out of that poverty consciousness to really um, moving into a state of more abundance was something that I teach all my clients, which is a process called reparenting. So think about this. Inside of ourselves, we have inner children. And I'm sure you guys have heard about the inner child a million times. But what does that mean? That means that, you know, I have a little Monica in me. And that little Monica in me still thinks, do I deserve to be in a suite with multiple bathrooms when there's just me? Do I deserve to have a veranda? It's just me. And the adult Monica, so that's the secure 48-year-old, I'm a successful person Monica, has to talk to myself in a way that my parents probably never spoke to me, saying, you know what? Of course you deserve this. And there's more coming because if you live in a world where you believe in a higher power and to me, a higher power does not come under the auspices of man-made religion. It's really like, you know, a universal all-knowing God figure. God puts you here on this earth, not only for you to become more authentic and tap into your gifts and give them in service to other people, but to receive and to experience the gifts of his bountiful nature or her bountiful nature. And so for me, you know, I think about money as energy, since we're talking a lot about energy today. And I realized that the more I could raise my own vibration, so connecting all the gifts I have together and really just saying to God, let me use what I have to make this world better in service to as many people as possible, then the energetic exchange, because remember for every act of giving, there's an act of receiving, is that the receipt should be a reflection of that like beneficence of that level of, of service and vibrational giving to others. Mm. You know, like not to make it about me, but you're just triggering something that is so obvious in me. Like when you, when you met me at the airport that one time with flowers and I just like walk by you because I don't want to receive that. You know, we have to receive graciously, don't we? And feel like we're deserving of these things. Well, receiving is like such a hot topic for me, Lisa, because, you know, the vast bulk of clients who come to me, come to me from families that were very dysfunctional in their psychology. And when I say dysfunctional, you know, it, it spans the spectrum. I have clients who grew up in poverty and I have clients who grew up in extreme wealth and the psychological dysfunction of the family and the imprint it leaves on the children is always the same. And one of the biggest things, you know, since we're talking about beliefs, uh, one of the biggest beliefs I have to break in my clients is they were very usually raised in families where they were taught it's better to give than to receive. Or I always have to put myself last. I always have to put everybody else ahead of me. And I know in my own process of healing that learning to receive, which is a very feminine energy, you know, when you think about relationships, there always has to be a polarity 
between feminine and masculine. And inside ourselves, there has to be a polarity between feminine and masculine. The hardest part for me has been learning how to receive. Because every time I received, it would bring up feelings of great shame in me. Or it would bring up feelings of guilt. You know, these very low vibrational feelings. So what I would do is would block the receipt because it just didn't feel good to me. It always made me feel so guilty to even contemplate, yeah, I want to be in a suite. And maybe the next time I want to be in a bigger one. That would just bring up so much angst in me. And what I realized was that, you know, very much what I'm talking to you about, that child in me hadn't been healed. No one had talked her down from that place of anxiety to a place of real security to say like, it's absolutely okay. And it's your birthright and go forth and have more. Because, you know, the thing is, you know, when I think about my own life, I want as many immigrant children who grow up in poverty to own multi-million dollar companies as, as is possible. I want couples to be as rich as possible and to be good stewards and good citizens. Because when people like you and Devo get really wealthy and when people like me get wealthy, they build from a level of consciousness, you know, as opposed to what I think we're seeing in the American landscape now which is conspicuous wealth inequality that the wealthy are often not only completely unconscious, but they're dark energies. They're completely greedy, meaning that they're only building for themselves and their own acquisition of wealth. Yeah. Does the product of the environment make them that way? It's the chicken or the egg. So do people start off morally conscious like you sound you are right now and we want to be, but as you get power and you get more power, it becomes the equivalent of greed and over necessity and then ultimately corruption. What happens there? How do, how do you remain morally conscious as you're trying to say we should and, and that you want to grow and foster and ferment around the planet and still be accomplished and have resources and wealth and still remain morally conscious and not become a total dick like you, you're talking about right now. <laughs> Eloquently said, as usual. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I mean it's a good question, though. Like, it's, it's a chicken or the egg. It's a great question. So here's like my, this is my belief about it, but I want to hear if you guys agree with me. You know, I did an enormous amount of psychotherapy, an enormous amount of psychotherapy. And and when I was doing it, remember that our culture is like psychotherapy is for the sick. And it's completely false. I'm not sure why that paradigm came to be. That's completely wrong. But really the process of psychotherapy, truth, is somebody helping you examine all the defects of your own personality. That's why it's such a charged event and people tend to not want to do it because you're going to sit with somebody and you're going to see basically all the places you're a dick, you know, and I still see it in myself and I wince because yeah, sometimes I'm awful. You know, I'm judgmental. I'm a myriad of things. And so what I see, you know, is also we've fostered a culture that has removed the impetus for self-examination, you know, whether we've stigmatized mental health care or psychotherapy, 
we don't believe in church anymore. You know, church used to be a place where we would learn the values of higher thinking. But the thing is, is that our church leaders became so fraudulent that that system has broken down. And in its place, what we've built is social media and these things where real false prophets can prosper, you know, and there's a real cognitive disconnect between who people say they are and who they really are. So I think that the combination of all these things and also we've built in the United States a culture of bottomless consumption, you know, everything that you're talking about where it's like, I need more credit. I need more sneakers. And we see celebrities showing off their closets with 9 million Hermes purses. This is what we now have built up as the platform to worship. And I think the real opportunity of the pandemic is that it's going to actually cause a crisis of consciousness. You know, we're already seeing the highest levels of loneliness that have ever existed in the world. We're seeing the breakdown of relationships family relationships over politics. We're seeing a real dissension in America. And I think what happens from that level of pain is people start asking much deeper questions and they start searching for deeper truths and deeper answers. And I hope there's going to be light workers around the world who've already been through the process of changing their own consciousness that speak honestly to people and say, this was my process let me help you get here because you're just going to live a better, more purpose-driven life. But I don't know. I think it's a confluence of events that have caused what I would consider exceptionally narcissistic leadership around the world. My first observation is you have a fantastic library of words that you I just dropped. So many delicious ones. Cognitive, <laughs> disconnect, confluence. Down I'm the like, favorite I words. need to get those right so I can use them on social media. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, you, was, that was your takeaway. So yeah, no. Sounds smarter on social media. So you're exactly what she's talking about not being. Yeah, I know. So you said a couple of things over there that I, I you talked about. You're not sure how we got to this where people were considered and labeled crazy. And I'll tell you my theory on that is, is you know, the church began that whole sort of burning at the stake witch hunt where they would round up anybody who didn't fit the bill of the ideologies that they were mandating would be professed, kind of like what's happening right now, by the way. And they rounded them up and they literally burned them at the stake or they called them crazies or they put them in labs and that sort of stuff. Because um, back, anybody who goes against the mainstream consciousness thought of what's the pervading thought of, you just called that cognitive disconnect that's going on right now. And you can see it happening on social media. It, it, it's almost, it's not almost, it is. Life just repeats itself, right? And so anybody who goes against that mainstream ideology or that thought process is labeled as crazy or conspiracy theorists, and they're just getting, in today's world, they're getting banned and kicked off social media. So um, you're absolutely spot on about that. You asked if we resonated with that. I do. That's all I have. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. End of conversation. No, no, just end of that. I mean, I can keep going and going. I'm just trying to not hog the airspace. So carry on. Um, so a little bit of what you touched on, like this last year, what, what's your biggest takeaway as far as people coming to you and needing your assistance and things? It, it, has it changed? Has it, has it kind of reached a peak and this is what you're seeing from people needing to ch either becoming conscious, trying to figure out what to do with their lives, 
whether it's relationships, whether it's boundaries, all of that, like, what are you finding people are coming to you in droves for right now? The biggest work that I see that needs to happen is a real understanding of boundaries and consequences. You know, I think that you can see that everywhere, that there's no consequence when boundaries are crossed. You can see that, you know, with Donald Trump committing excessive amounts of ethical violations, there was no criminal, there will be no criminal prosecution, which basically sends a message, let's commit more crime because when there are, you know, infringements of legal standards and no consequence, it basically means it's a free for all. But you can see that even in personal relationships where, you know, oftentimes women have never been given a voice and we have not been taught how to say no, or you've gone too far. And perhaps men haven't been told the truth about some of their behavior, it's been fostered. So another big theme I see in my work is codependency, is that we often look to our romantic relationship to be our everything, and no one can be our everything. So, you know, for couples who've been in pandemic a long time together, it's putting a lot of strain on some relationships because there's not enough oxygen in the relationship or enough other people to fulfill needs. Um, so really just, you know, breaking down that codependency and teaching people how to be more interdependent, meaning that your romantic partner is only one resource for you to get your emotional needs met and that there's lots of resources in the world and you have to open up the system um, and create a village. So, you know, the biggest themes I work with is boundaries, teaching people how to have them, teaching people to set appropriate consequences. In boundary work often is also how we treat ourselves. You know, we talk a lot right now about self-love. You can see it kind of everywhere. But what does that mean um, in terms of learning to really love yourself at a deep level and have moving also from a, maybe a more anxious or avoidant attachment style to a more secure attachment style? Attachment is how we basically come together as a couple and how stable that couple is and how they're able to ride out conflict or storms together. So it's so many different things, um, but they're all great things because they're really gonna elevate us to the next level of relationship. And I believe there's gonna be a ton of couples like you that are really operating at a completely different level that we've never seen in the world before. How can you how can you say that? So you barely know us, and I'm not looking for validation here. But what well, I like I like affirmation. What what is it that <laughs> helps my shallow self esteem? Well, you touched on Please. earlier. You touched earlier in the conversation about how you're able to sort of visually identify people who are operating on a different energy level. What is that about? And I'm not saying that we meet that metric, but what is it about that about us that you that sort of allows you to say that? How do, you, how do you observe that? What's that observation look like? Okay. So one of the gifts that I have is that the only way I can describe it is that I can see things that like 99% of the rest of the population can't see. And I pick up very subtle nuances and clues. So even let's take today's conversation, Devo, you mentioned your father and you mentioned basically not only what he taught you that was wrong, 
but your feelings about him. And to me, that shows a deep level of awareness, but also a deep level of individuation. You're not telling the story of, I had this amazing father. He was everything I wanted to be. You're actually taking a stance to say, that is not what I want to be. And I am not going there. At the same time, Lisa kind of mentioned something similar. So from my perspective, from psychology, you've both separated from your families of origin. You understand the imprint it's left on you that you're not carrying forward. And so that already is a higher level of thinking. The second thing that I've observed or noticed, and one of the things that I'm super interested in building through my business is conscious couples who are united in purpose. And I feel, so there's something, and I don't want to like use too many vocabulary words, but there's something called constructive interference that I'm super, super, super interested in, which is basically when you have two people vibrating at a very high level, when they come together, the vibration actually goes upwards. And so if you can give them greater purpose and intentionality, then basically you have two people who are able to move at a velocity that they couldn't move at separately. And so when you talk about, you know, taking on bigger projects, starting new brands, that to me is speaking to that level of coupledom. And even just like the questions that you're asking, you know, why is it that I feel I'm undeserving of money? Or how can I become more conscious? That kind of elevated level of questioning and that it's not provoking you. You're not getting triggered like where you're saying, well, I don't need the help or I don't have anything to learn. You're open and you're saying, I really, I think I'm doing a great job, but I think I could even do a better job. And could you teach me how to get there? That's kind of like a level of, of thinking and inquiry that, you know, we would look for in a, in a couple that's really taking their game to the next level. So I think that's why I say it. And I really am not trying to blow, you know, smoke. And I'm sure if I sat with you for longer, let's say you take me up on my very generous offer of <laughs> giving you each a private session. What's that offer? <laughs> how do we find you <laughs> you would find me at school of love nyc but anyway like if you take me up on that offer you know you guys will sit and talk to me each for an hour and in that hour kind of like i just did right i'm going to listen to different patterns and clues and i'm going to identify where the issues lie and then i'm basically going to say to you okay well here's something that you're doing that's wrong and let me help you fix that because that's even going to take your your relationship to the next level. And, you know, and and it's gentle. It's not like an indictment. It's like, you know, I'm a friend who wants to help you even do more and get greater and make more money and have more sex or, you know, do whatever you want to do in life. Um, so that's that's kind of why I think I made that assessment about you guys. It's funny that you say that because uh, I talk to Lisa all the time, you know, when we came together, we've known each other for over four years now. And one of the things I first noticed about being around Lisa for me personally was that sort of energy vibration level inspiration that I have when I'm with her. Um, there's an argument to be made that where we are today in our lives would not have happened in the way that they have had we not been together. Because every time I'm with her in any way, shape or form, 
there's just sort of a higher energy level going on in my business and my emotional connectivity. You know, there seems to be more prosperity happening, that sort of stuff. And you called it a term earlier. What did you refer to it as? Constructive interference. Constructive interference. I really like that. <laughs> well, that was really nice. But I think we find that as well with certain people that we work with. And I don't know if we were intuitive enough to realize that 20 years ago. No, not at all. Like if I had known what I know now, which is not much that I know now, but if I'd known it 20 years ago, what difference would it have made? Yeah. The best analogy I've ever heard about that comes from a guy named Greg Braden that I referenced earlier. And he talks about energy levels um, being sort of like a radio frequency. And I love this analogy. And it's, it's when you're around people who suck your energy and you walk away from it and you just feel like, oh, my God, I want to just put a, a stake in my own eye right now. It's because you were operating on a frequency level of that person and you allowed your energy level to succumb to theirs. And so he uses, you know, radio works in bandwidth. Right. And so you know, 95.1, 96.5, yada, yada, yada. And he said, you know, when you're around people that make you feel energetic and positive and you just feel like you're on the top of the world, it's because you're operating on that same frequency with them and you're on the same channel. And then as soon as you dip below that and you're around people who are like vampire, energy vampires, that's why you feel that same way. So I love that uh, analogy. Are we going to go somewhere else with that? Yeah. I want to know a little bit more about her um, symbology, your yeah. Rorschach diagrams that you have. And I'm going to pull a couple up on the screen. I think I can do that through this. So bear with me if I can do it. Um, I basically want to get them tattooed over my body. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And then the symbology with them. Can you see this or not? Oh, yeah. So you have these. But you guys are giving me way too much credit. I'll tell you where those come from. I'll totally tell you where those come from, but you're giving me way too much credit. But so I'm going to give the credit to where it's due. So when I first saw them, my first thought was Rorschach diagrams. And the second thought I had was this is hieroglyphics that you see all over the world. And I was just curious what they were. So dive into those for me. Yeah. So I have an amazing website designer. His name is Elliot Snyder. He uh, runs actually a company called oldfriend.co. And um, Elliot does all my website design. Elliot actually is operating on a very high uh, frequency level. And so basically, you know, I just tell him what I'm building and what I do, and he does all the graphics. So I really can't take credit for that. He's done all that work. I really recommend people go to him. He's, um, he's a very, very gifted artist on many, on multi dimensions, and he, he, does a lot. So yeah, I can't take credit for that, but I'm certainly going to pass the message on to him. Well, so when you stare at them, and if you didn't have the language underneath that, the first one increased feminine goddess energy, if you first stare at it, and I tried to do this actually yesterday before you got here, I was looking at them to see if I could understood what they are. And, and they are actually very symbolic of what the words say. So once you stare at them and see the words, you have that aha moment. So they're brilliant. And so you use these in sort of a, an educational capacity with your students. Explain how what the purpose of them. Uh, of the, the designs are. Yeah. Um, so you know, No, I think they're just honestly a visual representation of my work. And so, you know, like I said, they're they're not from me. They're a amalgamation of my work with Elliot's mind, you know, Elliot is like very design focused. He really, we have a very symbiotic relationship. Um, I actually work on him energetically and he's very young. <laughs> so it really, I, it's, I, it's him uh, putting into visual format, 
my beliefs and where I'm taking my business to. Well, I want to talk about these beliefs because this is, you know, like achieve your higher consciousness with your, your guidance and feeling happy and calm, centered daily, increasing feminine goddess energy. That sucked me in right there. <laughs> so, so give us a couple pointers, what we can do as women to, to increase, like when you, when you start there, what are some basic things that you feel that women should be equipped with already? So we touched on some of them today, you know, our false beliefs that we should put ourselves last, which is probably the most dangerous belief, our inability to receive, um, our inability to assert boundaries without anger. And, you know, I, it's my belief that we are really being raised in patriarchal paradigms. And one of the biggest um, problems with the patriarchal paradigm is we've gotten through to this place where we say, let me push through, let me push through. Even though I'm exhausted and depleted, I have so much work to do, let me push through. And to me, a feminine matriarchal paradigm is the better I take care of myself, the more energy I have, and I have to understand my energy. So a lot of what I teach is about creation whether that's creation of a business, creation of a novel, creation of design, like what Elliot does. Elliot actually creates from a very feminine space. Um, and what that feminine space, the, the act of creating, and maybe you'll do this with your business, with the, the newest project you take on, is that you learn to relax. And as deeper days of relaxation, so one of my modalities is almost every day, I try to walk 10,000 steps and I go into very deep meditations about like 30 to 45 minute meditations every morning. Um, in that state of deep relaxation, my mind is able to birth the creation of new ideas. I'm actually able to almost tap into the ether of universal consciousness where, you know, I start thinking about problems differently. When I first saw this in myself, and so we're really talking about feminine energy, was that I started to know things I didn't know how I knew. You know, I really started to understand the interplay between psychology and quantum physics in a way that nobody had ever trained me. And I remember like having a conversation with my mother and saying to her, like, it's really weird, mom. Like, I know all this stuff. I don't know how I know. And even as I started building my company, I know, so I built, started building my company seven years ago while I was still working as a lawyer and was building fully digitalized to the point that when the pandemic came, I didn't have one day of missed work. Like my business was running efficiently through that whole thing. And it was really weird. I would get a lot of downloads and those downloads would come usually at like 3.33 in the morning. Uh, they would happen at very particular times where I was receiving information. I didn't know where I was receiving it from. And that was causing me to maybe be three to five years ahead of the general population. And what I realized was the calmer I allowed myself to become, because remember that I had worked as a lawyer for 20 years and law is a very masculine energy practice. And the practice of law goes very fast and it's very driven. So no matter how tired I was, 
I was pushing myself. No matter what I felt, I was moving. What happened was I kind of went through a dark night of the soul for about a four-year period of time where I could not operate in the masculine paradigm I had been operating in. I had to radically shift the way I worked. And a big part of that radical shift was I had to learn how to first calm my psyche. And the calmer I could get my psyche, the more download of information and vision I could get. And so it was less about more, 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 more. And it, it's, it was almost like the anti-Elon Musk. You know, Elon Musk talks a lot about pushing his workers to work more. You push beyond like, you know, the eight hour work day. That to me is a very masculine energy structure. It's very antiquated also because it's contrary to all labor law. But in addition to that, just for the humanistic perspective, it's so unbalanced. And so from a feminine perspective, I wanted to prove that you could build something as efficiently as a masculine paradigm, but from a different place, from a place of real like intuition and real receiving of knowledge and real holistic balance and health. Um, and so that's a big part of it. I don't know. Did that answer your question, Lisa? And was that a decent Absolutely. explanation? Absolutely. There's, there's so many things that you triggered too. Like, I think we put ourselves, and I, I don't want a blanket statement, but women as being people pleasers. So when you said to set boundaries without anger, like I'm thinking of myself and how many times you're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then something happens and you explode and that person's like, where the hell did that come from? She's crazy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's because I didn't set those boundaries and it's just back there. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, a lot of it, think about it this way too. Thinking is very masculine and feeling is very feminine. And when you are raised in a patriarchal construct, you're raised to only value thinking, not feeling which means that we have an entire generation of humans, men and women, who don't know how they feel about anything. And, you know, when think about your feelings, your feelings are like an alarm system that something isn't right when they're bad. And that something isn't right is there's danger up ahead, or maybe I'm just not taking very good care of myself. I'm exhausted today. And today I don't need to work. I need to go sit by the beach and relax myself to replenish my energy so tomorrow I can go maybe twice as fast. And so, you know, a lot of it is really reconnecting to the feminine and reconnecting to that space where it's like, I have a right to feel good every single day, but I have to, one, have a deeper awareness of when I don't feel good to understand what the underlying need is that I have not met, that I need to meet so I can get back to a good feeling state. And that's a lot of what I teach in my curriculum as well. I, I teach a group class curriculum that goes nine months that basically gives people the tools and the language to be more calm and be more equanimous and state their boundaries and you know really broker with another person for their needs. Um, but that curriculum, which I teach for nine months, my clients take it year after year after year because it's like a radical shift in thinking that we've never been taught in our educational system ever. So to Devo's point, I went to an Ivy League law school and at the completion of that program, 
when I say program for a reason, I realized that, you know, these educational systems are charging outrageous amounts of money, but they're not actually giving us the tools for success whatsoever. In many ways, they're conditioning us to be materialistically successful, not even that because they don't teach financial literacy as part of the curriculum. They're teaching us to be programmed robots that satisfy the need for society while ignoring the need for self. Yeah, they, they, you're, you're spot on. They're teaching us to be programmed slaves, not financially independent, because if we are financially independent as entrepreneurs, we would no longer work for the system. And where does the system? The system makes money off of our slavery. So it's just modern slavery at its at its at its at an, an evolved- I could not agree with you more. And I think that's why, if I could piggyback on that, why, especially in the United States, they have never offered some kind of universal health care program because- they want us to get health care from our job so okay. that we are so afraid of losing our health care that we'll stay as slaves. This is the new plantation. Absolutely. And for anybody who doesn't think that's a plantation, you have to wake up to the reality of what's really going on. And, you know? what, and what's so egregious about it is that it's packaged in this beautiful boutique offering whether it's a bonus, whether it's working for the system and you have a company car and all these different, and you're given, there's an ascension ladder. Like once you, you join as a peasant and if you work really hard and you remain loyal to the company, there's an ascension and you get to become a vice president. I remember when I was at my, when I worked in the corporate world, there was like 452 vice presidents. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck do we need 452 vice presidents for? And it was just somebody given some superfluous title. And as soon as they got that title, they became a cocksucker too, by the way. I remember thinking like, dude, you and I were drinking beers last night at happy hour talking shit about our bosses. And now today you got promoted as a vice president and you suddenly became a cocksucker in less than 24 hours. I'm like, fuck you. All right. So that's why I left the corporate world. Well, you know, really I remember when I was like really young and I started, you know, just dating and I would call my mom and dad up and I would say, mom, like I met this guy. He's a vice president at Merrill Lynch. And my mom would say to me, well, there's like 9,000 vice presidents. Yeah. So that actually doesn't mean anything. <laughs> It means absolutely nothing. Deflated. It's like Milton from the movie Office Space. He was the vice president of the Staplers. That's basically what you're vice president of. All right. I want to go back to two things because we're running out of time. We could talk to you forever. We do actually need to get together with you in person. So, I love um, it. Well, if you guys were the podcast host who invite me to Mexico, we could be doing this all the time. You sound, like, you sound like you have some counseling issues we need to resolve around. Yes. <laughs> I was not inviting you to Mexico while I was sitting here putting this ring on my finger. Okay. Wouldn't that have been a proposal if your love coach was like on under the like palm tree like this? We could have at least got some good pictures. Feeding who we needed to have on like a calm mic. So you're telling me, all right, here's what you said. Baby, baby bird has landed. <laughs> we are planning just put this out there we're planning on going back in april so just put that on your radar oh well I, hey listen i'm all about the uh mexican rainforest that i'm currently Me, sitting in us too, <laughs> right. us too. all right before we lose you on time wise i want to go back to two things um you talked about that three to four a.m you don't know why you had this sort of um Download. elevated download, if you will. So there's actually a term for that three to four hour, and it goes back to divinity matrix codes and quantum physics and Jesus and all that stuff. And Jesus was just a metaphor for something bigger and larger, right? But um, three to 4 a.m. Is, is called the witching hour. And there's actually an intersection of energy vibrations between 
the sleep state of your body and the awakening state. And that actually happens at between 3 and 4 a.m. And Sadhguru, if you've never heard of him, he's a mystic from India. You're that, a lot of name dropping today. Yeah. Mm. So Sadhguru <laughs> is a mystic that I follow. Look him up. He's fantastic. But he talks about like you should wake up every morning around 3 a.m. if you really want to get in touch with your God spirit because it's during that 3 to 4 a.m. that these downloads occur because the veil between consciousness and unconsciousness is at its thinnest level because of the quantum physics energy vibration that the earth emanates yada 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 and i'm butchering it so but guys that have a prostate problem and are getting up that many times a night is it because they're <laughs> i think you're going in a whole different area <laughs> okay, <go right. laughs> all right before we lose you um there, I, I do want to get back to the conversation on mindset you talked about elevated beliefs about money and 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 rich people are bad and money is the root of all evil and your 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 paradigm shift around that of of seeing money as sort of a a way to seed your philanthropy i love that term by the way but real quickly in a nutshell we both have sort of and i think i'm probably worse off than lisa but i i sort of have this insecurity around why me why should i be able to make this amount of money like who am i what am i even though, and Lisa asked me, well, why did you have that feeling? Because you worked for the corporate world and you made all this money. And I was like, I made all that money working for somebody else. They gave me that money. So I didn't have any sort of sense of accomplishment around it. Right now, whatever I do is on my shoulders. It's my skin. It's my body. It's my house. It's my family. And so whatever I do, I, I'm, I'm per personally responsible for it. How do I overcome and I know you can't answer that in one one session, but what's sort of a a, a a building block for me to overcome that sort of anxiety I have around that? Is that a fair way to say that? Yeah, why not? You had said to me too, you, you're having a hard time bridging the gap between value and self-worth. Yeah. Well, I think, and so I'm going to state this. You can answer if you feel comfortable, but you don't have to. Just the small amount you shared about your father my guess is that being raised under a patriarchal figure like that was very traumatizing for you. Absolutely. Because um, I was actually always told that I was too feminine growing up. My dad made me um, wrestle uh, when I was, he put me into a wrestling club because he said I was a girl and he didn't want me to be a girl. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you're, you're, I'm a girl, but you're going to have me wrestle with other dudes and like fondle them while I'm in a mat laying around, rolling around half naked in a, in a onesie. That doesn't really make any fucking sense. <laughs> what do you wear onesie too? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> you're like out there. Yeah. Anyway. So, Okay, so start there, right? I mean, what you're talking about, right, is a father who didn't esteem you. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so how have you worked to heal that, that thing that happened? Right? I, don't know Which, that I, I don't know that I ever have, to be truthful with you. I've just sort of suppressed it and it, it's become a forgotten memory, but I, it obviously retools itself unconsciously on a regular basis. Okay. So that's kind of the wound, right? Is that you're talking about a child, a child who had, when we're children, we don't see our parent as a separate thing. Like we see this as this all-knowing person who told us I'm valueless or you're a wimp, mm -hmm. you're a loser, mm -hmm. you're a girl. You know, for that kind of patriarchal structure, what's the worst thing you could call a son? Mm -hmm. You're a little bitch. And so that resides in our psyche. 
that was not deserved by you, but that's certainly something that has to now be healed. And so the first question I asked is, what have you done to heal it? And he said, I don't think I've done anything. I think I've pushed it down. And that's what we all tend to do with our woundedness. We push it down. Think about the whole world as basically wounded children walking around all pushing down. And in my own work of healing my own, which my wounds were quite deep, you know, no less traumatic or painful than yours, was that that, that kind of lack of self-worth and self-esteem was so embedded in my structure that I didn't know, it's like getting out of a box. I needed someone to teach me how to get out of the box. And I needed someone even just to teach me this isn't the truth, this thing my mind is telling me. This is just a story I've made up in my head and I can change the story, but the relationship that has to change because this father figure or mother figure is mythical. I have the ability to now mother myself continuously. And every time I see myself denigrating myself or thinking I'm worthless, that I can just understand that came from there it was never true. And that now I have the ability to continually talk to myself in a way that esteems myself. I'm worthwhile. I'm loving. I'm valued. I'm valuable. I'm worth more. And remember that you have to think about our mind kind of like the Grand Canyon. So think about I'm worthless. If you've been saying I'm worthless to yourself for 40 years or 45 years. 39. Think Okay, 39. Think about that like rivers that run through the Grand Canyon. And when a river runs through the Grand Canyon for a really long time, what happens is the groove gets super deep. And think about repatterning your brain that at one point you say, oh God, that's just that river that goes deep. Stop it and repattern it. So it's basically changing the flow of the river into a new stream where you're like, wait a second, no. That's not me, that's him. That was my dad. I am valuable. And the more you say I'm valuable, the more basically you create a new river stream to run in a new direction. But think about how deep that original river stream was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think about that. First is the awareness. This is this thing I do, stop it. Now move it in a new direction. And remember, that's all that thinking is. You know, when we talk about awareness, Awareness is just, wow, I'm going into that negative place. I want to stop that and move that into a different direction. But if I was going to give you, you know, um, some advice, I would say, think about the work of working with someone to help you heal that as kind of a gift you give yourself. Because you not only want to kill the father figure, but you want to heal it. So that when you speak about it, you can speak about it with love for this person who himself didn't know any different. That's how he was parented. Mm -hmm. He did not know how to love you right because no one loved him right. So from his brokenness, he broke you. And that's the first place empathy and forgiveness begins. But that takes a lot of healing to get there. You know, that's not a simple process. That's a mic drop right there. 
Okay. Well, that was great. Thank you for the candor. I appreciate it. Um, very insightful. Very good conversation, wasn't it? All right. So this is Monica. Did I say your name last properly? Monica Parikh? Yeah, you had it perfectly. I'm Monica Parikh and my business school of love NYC. You're not on Instagram or social media. Is that purposefully? Yes. I closed all my social media accounts um, during this pandemic. And do I have time to talk about why I did it? We, we've been um, talking about taking a fast from it, which is kind of counterintuitive to what we do because we help people grow their social media. So, yeah, I mean, you're a perfect duo to have this conversation with because you can totally push back against me. Um, so, one of the things I've been thinking, I have been thinking a lot about is where I put my money and my time and my energy. Mm -hmm. um, Mark Zuckerberg, in my opinion, you know, the, during the election process, the NAACP came out and said that Facebook, it poses probably the largest threat to democracy in the world. He is building a monopoly that the US government now is trying to bust between his ownership of Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, and has been notoriously and openly not only a platform for false information that's causing enormous amount of um, democratic instability around the world, but has been mining client information and selling it to outside sources. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, I kind of started looking at, at it almost like apartheid in South Africa when we started to divest from companies that are actually causing inequity. Social media is known to be causing not only rampant mental instability by actually changing the way we think and process information, but also enormous amounts of depression and loneliness. So really just going inside myself, and as you guys know, as business owners, you know, anytime you really decide to make a move like I made to, you know, close it down, that was something that I prayed on for a long time. And, you know, many of the people who were advising me thought it was an, a massive mistake. Um, I also am watching, you know, as an investor in the stock market, that FANG, which is Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google, carries a predominant amount of the wealth in this country. And I feel like, you know, it's an oligarchy. It's really a dangerous precedent to not only capitalism and free market exchange, but democracy. So I kind of went inside myself and I said, I just... I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm building a relationship business, which means that I should go back to how business used to be conducted, which was personal relationships with people that I care about and building something very organic and honest and true. Um, so that was the decision I make, uh, made. And um, I'm, I kind of am standing behind it right now. You, you totally believe everything she says with it. It's 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 a conundrum for us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have any alternative deference to that. And my no, only response to that had those conversations hours of these conversations. How do we consciously create and consciously manage other people's social media and promote it without falling into that pit of self narcissism and vanity metrics and whatnot? And my only response to that is the way that I do my social media which is never before have we had an opportunity to connect and reach more people at a basically 
free or low point of entry. All that it requires is time and conscious thought. And if we can use that platform from a perspective of consciously collecting people like we try to do, hence where you come from, and use our platform in an inspirational capacity to connect other people, which we're doing, and if you can use your platform in a positive vibrational capacity to help other people connect in that same wavelength or to inspire or to educate or to influence without using it from a vanity narcissistic perspective, then social media, in my opinion, is the greatest tool to ever been gifted to the human population. However, it's a very, very, very fine line. The same as corruption and power and greed. You know, you can become very corrupt once you get power. You can become very corrupt once you have money. You can use that positively. You used a term earlier. um, I forget the term you used, but I loved it. But that sort of, oh, the philanthropy term you used. What was it you called? Um, You said something about philanthropy. I wrote it down. Conscious. Conscious conscious seeds of philanthropy, right? So you could use your wealth and help other people in that capacity, or you can use it and hurt other people. Social media is no different to me. So I love everything you said. Uh, It's fantastically accurate. And I, and it's a conundrum, you know, and, and one of the things I've been really interested in during the pandemic is like learning more about cryptocurrency. And the thing that I think is potentially really exciting and, you know, I'm going to plant this seed and I don't even know, I'm starting to get downloads about it, but I'm, I don't have the full vision of it yet. Is I think that cryptocurrency and this alternative landscape, right, of decentralized finance is also going to create an ability for us to create platforms and connectivity without needing an outside platform to do so whether that's Facebook or Instagram, where basically we're able to build our own platform and that platform can connect with other like-minded platforms. And so, you know, even in my shift or my move away from it, which just happened a couple months ago, where my mind is going is that I want to own my own content because that's, you know, when I left conventional work to work for myself, one of the biggest motivating factors for me was that I knew I would always be censored from telling the truth if my content was controlled by other people. Mm -hmm. If I started to talk about big pharma and if I started to talk about the capitalistic drive to hook people up into medicines, I knew that if somebody else controlled my content, they could shut me down at any moment. They could tell me what to say and they could ultimately even reconstitute what I decided to deliver. So I decided for me that the only path of real truth speaking would be if I was standing on my own and I was never tethered to somebody else who could ever shut me up or control me. And so, you know, that's where my mind has always been going is like, basically, I never want to be put in a position where I could be shut down, told to shut up, or controlled because I've already lived in that frequency, that radio frequency, and I'm never going back to that frequency again. And I and I really believe that God put me here for a reason. So every decision I make is with deep intention and prayerful, like quiet, 
but I also never judge anybody else for the truth that they're living and that also the decisions they make as business owners. Like you said, it's an enormous conundrum. Um, and, you know, that's kind of just, I'm just explaining why I am the way I am. <laughs> oh, we love the way you are. We love the way you are. Honestly, we wouldn't be on social media if it wasn't our business. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, but think about, I mean, think about what I'm saying with crypto and what I'm reading and kind of feeling is coming up ahead is that you just may want to kind of like have these feelings be a symbol of something that you're kind of getting ahead of what could be a problem that's like a two-year down the road problem and you're kind of pivoting and repositioning to run a little faster than the pack by allowing those feelings. Cause I was having all these feelings. Like I was having all these feelings and I was being twisted up inside, you know, to the point that before I came to Mexico, I called my broker and I said to my broker, I want you to divest every bit of stock in Facebook. I don't want to own one bit of it. And I'll tell you guys a story. You know, I went to law school with somebody who works in the general counsel's office at Facebook. And I emailed him and I said, I want to talk to Mark Zuckerberg about the enormous mental health um, problem he's creating on this platform. And of course, those doors were closed. He wasn't going to take a meeting with Monica Parikh. But I called my broker and I said, divest me from every bit of it. I don't want to own any of it. And my broker said, I can't. It's in every single mutual fund we sell, including the social, like what would be considered like the social enterprise fund. And I said, well, who's on the board of the social enterprise fund? I said, because that can't be people like me who are thinking at a conscious level. And he said, well, if you want to get on it, you can try. And I said to him, well, either I'm going to get on the board of that mutual fund or I'm going to, you're going to lose my business because there has to be a way to create wealth creation without funding things that are actually destructive to the democracy we say we love. Like I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth. And so, you know, these are kind of like the massive problems I'm wrestling with. And it's, you know, it's interesting because before I got on the show, I was saying to you guys how I feel like I'm sitting in the spiritual vortex, you know, in the rainforest in Mexico. And one of the things Diva was saying was like, you actually are. And, you know, it's interesting because since I've been here, I've been here for a week. I've been talking to all the resort guests. Every single resort guest that's here has closed their social media this year. And I was sitting at the pool and I was telling this woman the story about my broker. And she goes, oh, that's okay. Just talk to my husband. My husband's building stock portfolios that don't hold any of it. So it says to me, Okay, you know, because before I left New York, when I was having this conversation, I'll tell you what my stockbroker actually said to me. He goes, listen, I'm not supposed to say this because I'm on a recorded line. He goes, but I feel exactly like you. He says, I feel that this is the cancer of society. So it says to me, well, I'm provoking a question that's causing everybody's internal feelings to rise to the surface, you know, and what does that mean? I'm just, you know, I'm just being me. <laughs> when you raise yourself to that level or when you open up the doors, the universe delivers, doesn't it? Like, like you said, all of a sudden you've, you've opened up that thought, this is what I'm going to do. And now you're, you're surrounded by people that are giving you answers to a different way of doing things to solve that problem. It, it, it always amazes me. People are always delivered to you when you're ready. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But look, I mean, there's no 
part of me that isn't terrified too. You know, I was terrified as a business owner to close social media. I was ter- I am terrified now as a stockholder to divest in what are basically the largest money makers in a portfolio. Like, you know, this is causing a lot of feeling inside me because of course I want to be rich, but like, I don't want to put my money here. It just are, doesn't feel good anymore. Are you familiar with the, a guy named the dollar vigilante, Jeff Berwick? No. I just sent you an email from Jeff. Um, I, I'm on his email chain, but he's a uh, huge into crypto and he teaches people how to get rid of dependency on the dollar by divesting in digital currencies. And he talks about all the things that you're talking about that this digital revolution that's about to occur. Um, Check your email. I just sent it over to you. Well, He's actually I actually whole- follow. So just, you know, and add to the resource list. I actually follow Ian King at Banyan Hill. And so Ian King has been teaching me how to build a small cap portfolio and in addition, a crypto portfolio. And so everything that we're talking about, like I said, like it's coming, <laughs> it's coming. And I feel like we all, you know, because one of the things I've spent a lot of time reading about during the pandemic is how the pandemic was planned in advance as the largest wealth transfer in American history. Absolutely. And that really chilled me to the bone. And there were light workers who were saying, you have to get ahead of this. Absolutely. And a big part of getting ahead of it was to begin to invest in crypto, which at that point I didn't even know anything about. And really the next evolution of, 5G technology and also innovation, you know, we're going to become very automized. And so then what happens is, you know, from my perspective, you can't flip out about what's happening. You just have to see the landscape and make the best plays ahead of everybody else. You have to begin to position ahead of everybody else by not flipping out and by exchanging information with truth tellers who are basically going to help you take your game to the next level and run a faster race on a lot of levels. You know, so I now see my business as only one font of money for me. You know, my other font of money is the stock market, crypto, real estate. You know, that I have to have multiple fonts coming in. Otherwise, I'm too vulnerable and at risk. Yeah, we agree. Okay, we're running out of time. (laughs) It's impossible not to talk to you. It's impossible. (laughs) I love you guys. Well, have me back. I'd love to talk again. And And by the way, like all the happiness and all the joy for your future marriage and what you guys grow and build together as a team. Thank you. Really appreciate that. I appreciate everything that you say. Like it run, rings so true. And um, I think we're going to be working on some of the things that taking to heart that you've talked about, even just, and we've been talking about, um, it doesn't matter how hard you work in your business. Nobody cares about how hard you're working and taking that time to, to find the calm that's going to leap us ahead in, in not just business, but spiritually as well, finding that calm and that clarity. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Make right. that your first intention. Make that the place you start because think about it like this. The world operates in a frenzy. They move like this and you want to move like this. 
And moving like this is a much more efficient movement. It's almost like the tortoise and the hare. You know, you don't want to move like the hare. You want to move like the tortoise because it's efficient and it you keep pace and you're moving towards that goal and not making fewer mistakes. I, I could not have known about a pandemic or whatever was generating inside me that said, I want to build digitally. You know, I could not have known what was coming ahead. I just was always following something inside myself that was like, this is the step to move in to, you know? And, and that's what I'm trying to do with Facebook and all these other things is I'm just following something inside that is more inexplicable than not. And giving that voice credence as well. I think 100%. to get to the point where you, you follow and listen to what that, that download, that voice was. That, uh, and it doesn't make sense a lot of the times, right? Like, you know, when I started talking about human relationships, I built purpose into my curriculum, which I don't think there was a single relationship coach in the world that was building purpose. You know, what does purpose have to do with a marriage? Just hook people up, get them married and get them out of here. And I realized that, no, you know, what you want to see is exactly what you guys are doing. You want to see teams and you want to see people who are just exceptional and really a model for other people to follow. And you can't get there without purpose. So really it's, you know, I think it's going inside and it's really asking deeper questions and moving in a different direction than the herd. That's an interesting statement because one of the things that we do with every one of our clients is we teach them what's your purpose for being on social media. So they come to us, they say, we want to have a presence. We want to be an influencer. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to be digital. Blah, blah, blah. And before we even engage with them, we take them through this. It's like a four hour exercise. It's more of a psychology, psychological breakdown of what's their purpose. It's, it's really a branding exercise that we use to understand, better understand them and their psychometrics and who they are and who they're talking to. But more than anything else, what is your purpose? What are you good at? What's your superpower? And why do you want to use that? And how are you going to use that? And we, it's all about, I'll send you an exercise we do. It's, it's brilliant, but it really better understands your purpose of being here. Why are you here? And the whole point of this- It doesn't apply just to business. We should be doing it personally. <laughs> no, but the whole point of this podcast is if you read the statement, the whole reason we put this together, Monica, is- is what's your superpower? What's your gift to the world? And how can we help you connect with other people around those superpowers? And literally every single podcast we have done, there has been some sort of a connection that has occurred. And so, you know, I just forwarded you Jeff Berwick, who knows where that's going to go, but I'll let you know that he has a conference coming up in February, which is right where you are. And it's the, you should read about it. Just check the email out. Um, it might be something that is right up your alley. So we'll see where it goes. Anyway, um, I love this conversation. I would like to continue it offline in, in whatever capacity we in can. In Mexico. Um, I probably will call you about this offer you're, uh, uh, that you, that you uh, so yeah, generously. Yeah, but then we'd really, really, really have to get married. I think that perhaps the future of relationships is not marriage. Mm-hmm. But it's a contractual arrangement. And that's the lawyer in me. Yeah. The lawyer in me, I'm going to move my business into actually forming conscious contracts between people where the marriage is a real brokered contract that doesn't need government blessing, <laughs> where it's, listen, let's have a conversation about what this is going to be. And yeah. let's have a conversation about when there begins to be some kind of breakdown, what we commit to doing with each other 
when that happens. I love that. We've you say had, that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've had those conversations and, and it could be because we're out of marriages and, you know, redefining what is important to us. And we haven't really, I think mostly because of me and I'm, I'm stumbling here, but that whole ideation of what marriage is and, oh, let me see the ring and let me, you know, all of that stuff is just bullshit to me. <laughs> oh, it's bullshit. The whole wedding industry to me is the exact same as McDonald's. Yeah, It's a big capitalistic construct that, you know, like one of the things, it's so funny because people will call me, right? And they Oh, okay. We just lost each other. Yeah, I know. I so, like, um, and one time this woman called me and I told her how much it costs to coach with me privately. And she balked. And I said to her, how much was your wedding dress that you bought? <laughs> and she was like, it was 25000 And I said, so you had no issues with spending 25000 to wear a dress you were going to wear maybe like, what, three to four hours? But I'm actually going to give you the tools to have a completely different life on every level. And a marriage that's going to hit a target that this incremental portion of society can hit. But you don't want to pay me for that. Mm, well said. We say that, and, to we say that to brides. We're like, same sort of concept. You're going to spend 25 k for a dress, but you don't want to spend 5500 for someone to document that forever? That doesn't really make any sense. Oh, it's crazy to me. It's absolutely, you know, it's our backwards thinking. And the thing is, it's like when I talk about it, I talk about it a lot, you know, because to me, all a marriage is, is it's a very important, it's the most important business deal of your entire life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you've gone through divorce and I have, oh God, I would never want to go through that experience ever again. So it's kind of like creating an insurance program around the marriage and saying like, hey, all of this is normal. You're going to fight. You're going to want to run and leave. You're going to like look at this person and say, why are you provoking everything in me? And you got to go a little deeper and say, what's actually going on here? And who can give me the tools and the resources to calm my psyche and, and pivot my understanding of this problem so I can fix it? And that to me is an invaluable service. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of my time. <laughs> Because everyone right now just wants to swipe left and right on a dating app, you know, and I'm like, no, let's, you know, let's take our humanity up to a different level. <laughs> you you might be ahead of your time, but I think you're probably um, a pioneer of what's coming. I, I, everything is cyclical. Like literally everything repeats itself on this planet and, and it has for thousands and thousands of years. But there's a book. I'm going to name drop again. It's called The uh, Last Days of Ancient Sunlight by Thomas Hartman. Fantastic book. But he talks about the paradigm shift from matriarchal societies to patriarchal societies and that back thousands and thousands of years ago societies were run by women and men were just sort of kind of there to help out in whatever way they could but they didn't have marriages they had conscious agreements where and and the the matriarch of the tribe or the elders were, were always women they held central roles but they only used men for specific purposes i mean there was there, there were partnership arrangements but the woman was the woman would actually have offspring with different types of men based upon the needs of the community. So like if there was Thor, who was a big giant builder, then then you and Thor would breed and have a baby who could be a big 
soldier or whatever. Anyway, you get where I'm going. So it's an interesting paradigm shift. That's how we used to be as humans. And I think probably we'll go back. Are, are we breeding? I told you where I stand on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. This has been brilliant. Thank you. We've gone, I don't even know that we've yeah, done 26 like, different topics. Yeah. That would be a fun show to talk about this whole consciousness shift you want to do in marriages versus consciousness agreements. That'd be a fun sort of a conversation to go into. Well, it's super timely because we just actually entered into the age of Aquarius. Yes, we Supposedly did. right around December 21st, 2020. And so that's like numerical, right? Yeah. But the big part of the shift to the age of Aquarius is exactly what we put our finger on. It's really like actually removing the construct of marriage and relationships from a government because we're seeing government as basically being completely fraudulent, right? And so why do we need government to bless what we do in our homes with each other? Well, money, right? It's built into the system, but it's also control. It's also like patriarchal dynamics, like going forward. So really, if, if you could say to your partner, we're just going to broker something, that's like a whole new, different line of thinking, but it's really in line with where we are right now. So I'd love to come back and talk about it and give you some of my thoughts about where I think we're going to go in the future. That'd be great. And by the way, what you hit on is exactly the download feed I've been getting. Um, you know, and it's really confrontive to me because I was raised Catholic for <laughs> 12 years. And so like thinking about you know, which is interdependency instead of codependency, like looking at people for need fulfillment and saying, it's okay, you know what, that you're just my sexual partner. I get my empathy from over there mm -hmm. and I get my finances from over here. And like really saying that like, okay, you know what, you don't have to be everything. You just have to be this. And even moving to more probably polyamorous relationships, you know, all of this is kind of like the download I've been getting for quite some time. That, like I said, like, you know, it's confrontive and triggering for me because I was raised in very much organized religion that told me what was right and what was wrong, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. including divorce being wrong. And honestly, like at this level of consciousness, I think that divorce could be the best gift some people give themselves, it was you know, from being in very bad marriages. It was mine too. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to go into that polyamorous conversation, but I have some insights on that. So we could have a conversation about that, don't I? <laughs> All right. We have to do this. In. All right. Stop talking to us because you're too interesting. Thank All right. you. Thank you All right, so much. This is Monica Pri. You can find her on the school of love, nyc.com. Um, why not just school of love? Why does it have to NYC? Because that's where you were. We should probably talk about that for your branding purposes because you're not in NYC any longer. I don't, I don't think you're going to be in, 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 New, in uh, New York much longer, personally. I just put my house up for sale. Did I tell you that, Diva? There you go. No, you didn't. <laughs> After 26 years, I was vacuuming my floors and crying because I recognized that that, and you're right, like I have a whole branding problem now. <laughs> Yeah, I, when I first met you, I didn't see you in New York City uh, for for much longer. That's funny. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I lived in New York City. I'm not a New York City fan. Anyway, thank you. This has been brilliant. Anything that you'd no, like to thank you so close much for with? all of your insight. We'll be talking about this for a while. Thank you so much, you guys. I love you guys. Love you as well. Go check out um, what was that little town we went to when we were in Mexico? We were in Tulum. I know, but we took a little trip. What's the name of the? We'll, we'll send it to you. Okay. <laughs> Bye.